Once again, Paul was in trouble for taking a stand for Jesus, and now he's going to be tried by the governor, Felix. Let's see what happens. Here's Pastor David with today's teaching recorded live at Acts Church. At some point in life, we all uh, come to a place where we begin to understand the difference between right and wrong. We all start to realize that our actions aren't just neutral, that there's a right and a wrong. We know that there are things that we should not do. We start to realize that there are consequences that bring judgment. There are consequences that bring judgment. When I was in the sixth grade, I was uh, in school. Uh, this was back, I lived in California at the time. And I was in class in elementary school, and, and this, the teacher gives us this project, and she says, go uh, in the, you know, in groups and sit there, and I want you to make a list of all the things that you would bring if you were a pioneer traveling across the United States. So I'm there with a group of other sixth grade 12-year-old boys, and we start making this list, and I decide, because I'm hilarious, that I'm going to write some funny stuff down that was very inappropriate. I won't tell you what I wrote, but I wrote something that was very inappropriate on the paper, right? Showed it to the guys. They're all laughing, okay? I know you can't imagine that I would ever do something like that, but I was, I'm there, and the teacher starts to walk over right after I do this. So I start guilty scribbling, trying to scribble the thing out because I know she's going to come and ask to see what we've been doing, and I don't want her to see this inappropriate thing that I wrote. But she gets over there before I can get it all scribbled out, takes the paper from me, what were you writing, looks at it, oh, you know, um, and decides that she's going to uh, give me a detention. Now, a detention was no big deal. Normally, I could get a detention. It was like during lunch or whatever. I got a lot of them. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't that big of a deal. But this one, she said, I'm going to take this paper that you wrote, and then just in case they don't know, I'm going to write the thing that you wrote out so that everyone can see what you wrote. And I want you to take this to your parents. I think I had to get it signed, along with the detention. Give this to your dad. So you know my dad. Um, I knew my dad. And I can tell you that I begged and I pleaded with this woman, uh, this teacher of mine, you know, please don't. You don't know what my dad's going to do. You don't know how bad this is going to be. This is going to be so bad if I take this thing home to my dad. And I knew that because I knew that my dad knew the difference between right and wrong and that this was wrong. And I knew that he had the authority and the power to judge and to execute judgment with a mighty right hand. Okay? And so I, I went home and I brought it and I was not wrong. Uh, judgment was executed uh, by Mr. Paddle. Uh, Mr. Paddle and Mr. Hindend uh, met more than once, and it was not a pleasant meeting. Um, and so what I learned, though, is that there, there really is such a thing as consequences. There really is such a thing as judgment that when we do what we ought not to do, which we all do starting very young, that it's only right that there should be judgment. I knew that if my dad did not bring judgment in that scenario, it would say something about his character, that he would let me, his child, get away with something like that and think that it was okay to continue to go on acting like that. It would say something about who he was, that judgment was necessary at some level. Now, as we go through the passage today, we're going to um, become familiar with a guy named Felix, who was the governor of Caesarea. Okay? And Felix is going to be faced with the gospel. Paul's going to bring the gospel, and he's going to particularly bring the truth to him about righteousness 
self-control, and the judgment to come. We're in Acts 24. We're going to start at verse 1. It says this. Now after five days, Ananias the high priest came down with the elders and a certain orator named Tertullus. These gave evidence to the governor against Paul. Now we can see how important it is right here in this verse. How important it was to the nation or at least to the leaders of the nation of Israel, to, to prosecute Paul, that the, that the main guy, right, the main dude has come, the high priest has come along with the elders all the way to Caesarea to accuse Paul. Not only that, they've hired this lawyer named Tertullus, okay? And we don't know anything about Tertullus except that he was, you know, an attorney, that he would have known Roman law, well, he would have known the way to act within the, the courtroom, and, but his presence there is just more evidence about how seriously these guys wanted to take Paul down. This was not a fly-by-night thing. They wanted to end Paul and his ministry concerning Jesus Christ, and so that's what they did. And let's see how our... our uh, Hearing starts here. It says, And when he was called upon, Tertullus began his accusation, saying, Seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight. We accept it always in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Nevertheless, not to be tedious to you any further, I beg you to hear by your courtesy a few words from us. So this is blah, 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 lawyer talk. Okay? It was not uncommon that you would address a court or a governor in a hearing like this with some flowery language at the beginning, saying something nice about them. Okay? Even today, if you were to uh, go in to say the U.S. Supreme Court, they generally would start with something like, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court, and then they go on. But they don't go into this ridiculous flattering, Mr. Chief Justice, and you look so good today, and that little hammer just really brings your eyes out. They don't, that doesn't happen, okay? Uh, most judges would, would kick you out of their courtroom for, for openly flattering like this, but here it was okay. Unfortunately for Tertullus, uh, what he was saying was completely empty flattery. Felix was a horrible person, um, was not bringing any kind of peace or anything like that to the Jewish nation. In fact, uh, while Felix was in office, it really sped up the process of starting the war that would eventually happen between the Jews and the Romans. He was a bad guy. He was constantly hunting down uh, these Jewish zealots and killing them, well, oftentimes crucifying them. Um, he was not. eventually gets removed by Nero, who also wasn't that great of a guy, uh, because because Felix was so inept at the way he was handling uh, the governorship of this region. But that's what Tertullus says to him anyway. Um, and then he goes on. And he says, For we have found this man a plague, a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, and we seized him, and wanted to judge him according to our law. But the commander Lysias came by, and with great violence took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come to you. By examining him yourself, you may ascertain all these things of which we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, maintaining that these things were so. They accused Paul of being a plague. Essentially what they're saying here is, look, this guy's a dissenter. This guy's out here in the entire world causing dissension, you know, causing trouble, causing, causing difficulties that are going to come back on Rome, that he's, that he's basically riling people up. And, of course, the, the way they're putting this kind of, he's, gonna, he's riling people up kind of against Rome, against, you know, causing that kind of trouble that's going to put cities in turmoil and so on. Now, to be fair, from what we've studied from Paul, this kind of huge trouble only happened in Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Thessalonica, Berea, and Corinth. So, yeah, I mean, they weren't wrong. 
Uh, Paul's preaching had brought a lot of uh, trouble. But here's the thing. It wasn't Paul who brought it, right? You know, we've, we've studied this stuff. It wasn't Paul. Paul wasn't violent. Paul wasn't looking for rights. He was preaching Jesus Christ, and the people there rejected the message so strongly that they were causing trouble in these other places, not Paul. So their accusation was just not true. Paul wasn't out looking for trouble. He was looking to make disciples for Jesus Christ. The people who didn't like Jesus were making trouble. But I won't say that what they say is completely untrue. I would just say it's about a half-truth. And it's not something that he should be accused of. And they call him a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Um, I believe this is the first time the word Nazarenes is used um, to refer to Christians. And, the, and, and it's, just a, it's just one of the ways that Christians were referred to. They're referred to a number of ways because Jesus was from Nazareth. They used the word Nazarenes. And they accused him of profaning the temple. If you remember um, from a couple weeks ago, what they originally said was that he was causing all this turmoil all over the world, but that also they, he had brought a guy named Trophimus, who was a Greek, into the inner courts of the temple, which would have been illegal and would have been punishable by death. And so again, they're bringing this uh, back to him saying, yeah, he brought this guy in the temple also. He, def- he defamed the temple. He desecrated the temple. And of course, we know Paul had not done that. He had not done that at all. Um, now, and now Paul will get his chance to speak after this lawyer speaks. We know Paul likes to speak, so let's see what he says. It says, Then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered, Inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. So this is Paul's first flowery thing. You'll notice in it that it has no flattery. He just mentions a couple of facts. I know that you've been a judge here for a certain amount of years, and I'm cheerful to go ahead and give my defense. It sounds like he's being nice, but he's really not saying anything flattering because Paul's not going to lie like this guy just to make uh, Felix like him. So he says this, uh, and then he goes on uh, from there in the next few verses, and it says this, because you may ascertain that it is no more than 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship, and they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone, nor inciting the crowd, either in the synagogue or in the city, nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. So, what's going on here? Paul is saying a couple things. We've got sort of the legal side and sort of the theological side. He's saying on the legal side, look, I was only in Jerusalem for 12 days total. I think it's been five days since he moved to Caesarea. So we're talking about a total of 17 days. So one of his points here is, look, whatever happened, whatever these guys are accusing me of, it should be really easy to find proof of it because it just happened. What they're accusing me of had to have just happened because I've only been here for a few days. So if they don't have very much proof, that would say something about whether or not it's likely that I did these things they're accusing me of. So he's saying that. And then he's, he's saying that, look, I was in the temple and nobody found me causing a ruckus in the temple. I was peaceful. Nor did I cause a ruckus in the city or in the synagogues, among the people, nothing. He's basically saying, these guys are accusing me of causing all this trouble, but they can't prove any of it. They can't prove any of it. I didn't do any of these things. And then he lays out that he worships God according to the way. And the way is just another name that the Christ followers had. Okay, they were called the way. 
And, and of course, Felix would have been familiar with who the way was. Uh, and, and he's just saying, look, I am following the Jewish scriptures, the same scriptures that these people are following, and I just happen to be doing it in this particular way because I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one of these scriptures, and so I worship God in this way. Okay, I don't worship some other God. It's not some new religion. It's not something like that. I'm worshiping the same God these guys are worshiping. This is a difference of what? Theology. Not the kind of thing you should be getting involved with. This is a difference of theology. And so, Paul mentions that he has this hope. And that it's the same hope that these guys have, that most Jews had. Which was that there would be a resurrection of the dead. Of course, that's our hope as Christ followers also. We know as Jesus Christ was resurrected, that we also be resurrected unto life in Christ if we know him. And so he's saying, that's my hope. He also mentions there will be a resurrection of the just and the unjust. That there's going to be a resurrection that some people will not like and that some people will really like. He's making this point. Okay? All will be resurrected. Some will face judgment. Some will be with God. Okay? And then he says this, because of that view, because of the resurrection, because I have an eternal view of life, I strive to always have a good conscience towards God and people. I want my conscience to be right before God and people. I want to live righteously because I understand that there are eternal rewards and eternal punishments at play. So he makes this point for them. Then he continues, and he says this. Now, after many years, I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation. So Paul has, is bringing alms, which is, which is money that he brought in relief for the church in Jerusalem. This isn't the first time he's done this. There are poor people, suffering people in Jerusalem, Christ followers there, and he's brought money, assumedly that he's taken in a collection of these other churches, to bring to Jerusalem. So he's brought that, and it says, and offerings, which would have been sacrificial offerings that he brought to the temple. If you remember from a, a couple chapters back, Paul paid for the expenses of several men who had taken a Nazarite vow. So he would have brought uh, money uh, to purchase uh, sacrifices and so on that were for that vow. So those are the things that he brought. And he says, In the midst of which some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with a mob nor with tumult. So here he is. He's in the temple. He's not doing anything wrong. He doesn't have a bunch of people around. He's not causing trouble. He's there purified after this, after this ritual that he went through. They ought to have been here before you to object if they had anything against me. Or else let those who are here themselves say if they found any wrongdoing in me while I stood before the council. Unless it is for this one statement which I cried out standing among them concerning the resurrection of the dead. I am being judged by you this day. So here's what Paul's saying. I'm in the temple. I'm not causing any trouble. I'm not causing commotion. I'm, I don't have a mob. I'm not causing a ruckus. Here I am. These guys from Asia, if you'll remember, it was some guys from Asia Minor that had come, maybe from Ephesus, that knew about Paul, that then saw him in the temple, and then tried, because they had wanted to get him before, when they saw him in Jerusalem, they tried to get him again. They're the ones who caused the mob. And Paul's saying, if they want to say something, they should be here. Apparently, they weren't there. These guys from Asia. Now, it had only been a few days, so we don't know exactly why they didn't show up. Either they were done with the, with the time of the feast and they went back to Asia Minor, or maybe they didn't want to perjure themselves in front of the governor of the region, because that would have been big trouble for them too. Either way, Paul's saying, where are my accusers? These are the guys, these guys from Asia Minor are the guys who were saying, I did something. You all are just repeating it. So where are they? Where are these accusers? And he's saying, if that's not it, then the only other thing that could be is this one statement that I made concerning when I said, hey, concerning the resurrection of the dead is why I'm being judged. If you remember that from when he's in front of the Sanhedrin. 
I said, that could be the only other thing that I am being accused of. And of course, this wouldn't have been an illegal statement for him to make. It would have made, you see, making it even more clear, I think, to Felix that the issue that, they're, that these guys are worked up about is a theological issue. It's an issue of, of, of interpreting Scripture. Now, the Romans, if they're smart, and they were smart enough generally not to get involved in this, are not going to get involved in the interpretation of Scripture between different sects of Judaism. And so as long as Paul can show that that's what this is about, he's unlikely to get in trouble with these guys. And so he shows them that. Let's see how Felix reacts. It says, but when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings and said, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will make a decision on your case. So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit him. So he punts. He says, I'm not going to make a decision today. I'm not going to do that. You guys go home, Paul. You go over here. We're going to wait for Lysias, which was the commander of the garrison who had originally um, taken Paul into custody when the Jews were trying to beat him up. We'll wait till he gets here. And then we'll see what he has to say, and then I'll make a decision. Meanwhile, Paul is given liberty, some, which, which is to say he had some ability to, it wasn't like he was down in the dungeon. He was being kept in this, in this place, probably in one of the rooms there in Herod's uh, praetorium, and his friends were allowed to bring him stuff. At this time, the Romans would not have been providing food and clothing for someone in custody like this. So it would have been the, the Caesarean church, but Christ followers in Caesarea who would have been providing Paul his clothing, his food, and so on during this time. Well, we don't know who all it would have been, but we know that people such as like Philip the Evangelist, one of the first deacons lived there. We know that Cornelius and his family, the first Gentiles to, to become Christ followers, lived there. And so we don't know all who would have been there, but it's very possible those people would have been the, the ones literally involved with helping Paul out during this time. And so that's what happens. And Felix punts it um, the, you know, away for a little while. And then uh, he calls Paul. We're going to see about that in just a second. He says this. It says, And after some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. So Paul proclaims the gospel to Felix. He proclaims the gospel to Felix and his wife, and he reasons with them about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. And this frightens Felix. It frightens him. And Felix sends him away. We're going to come back to that in a second. Let's go back. Let's go to the last couple of verses in this section. It says, uh, Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul, that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. But after two years, Portius Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. All right. So, uh, Felix is hoping to get paid, Right? hoping to get a bribe. So he'll call Paul from time to time, hoping that Paul is going to bring him money. He apparently thinks that Paul has some amount of money. Maybe the people who are providing for Paul are some of the wealthier believers in the area. I don't know. Maybe it's because he brought this large gift to Jerusalem to the believers. But some way or another, uh, obviously Felix thinks Paul's got access to cash. And so he calls him from time to time so that he can see if Paul will offer him a bribe, which he doesn't. And Paul's there for two years. So in that, in that section, two years have passed. Paul is, in, is in custody for those two years, and then uh, Portius uh, comes in, 
Porcius Festus comes in and takes over for Felix because Felix was in big trouble with Nero because Felix very ineptly handled sort of an outbreak of violence and so on uh, with the Jews and the Syrians there in the city of Caesarea. And so, you know, he's lucky he actually wasn't executed probably, but Felix happened to have a very high up brother in, in the Roman world. Um, and, so he, and so he avoided that. And he was in pretty hot water with the Jews who were the ones who were accusing him in Rome. And so what he did was he left Paul in custody so as not to upset them anymore on his way out. Fascinating how that trial worked, isn't it? Now, in our next episode, Pastor David will teach us what this means for us today, and I hope you'll join us. Until then, if you have any questions about faith in Christ, or anything else for that matter, call us at 360-885-9000, or send us an email, use info at actschurchnw.org. And you're always invited to join us for church on Sunday morning. Axe Church is really easy to find in Vancouver, Washington, and directions and all the info you need are available anytime at axechurchnw.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll be with us next time for more with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate. <music>